Hello, everyone. Redcoat here. CNT here joins him. And, well, we've got another podcast for you. Amazing how that works. Mm-hmm. So this is part two of storytelling. This time we're going to be looking at the concept of interactivity when it comes to storytelling in video games. As a unique aspect of how video games work, uh, this is a pretty fascinating subject. Yeah, so this is something that I've kind of been thinking about uh, because I, I feel like there's more room to explore sort of this unique concept in a way where it's not just the player's interaction, but the game's interaction also. Sort of this idea that the game can make agents that are part of the storytelling. Uh, and this is kind of an interesting angle to me. So with this concept in mind, uh, I want to look at sort of what I'm referring to as the scales of interactivity. Mm-hmm. There are three of them. So just to, to quickly run down what these three scales are, we'll get into them in more detail, and that's that's what the podcast is going to be about. But just so that way you know what we're talking about. Uh, the first one I call it the predestined scale, uh, and I have it go from seeds only to fully known. So those are the ends of the scale. Uh, and this scale measures how much of the story has been planned by the designer. Yeah. So we'll be getting into that one uh, first. Uh, the next one is the player influence scale, which goes from open to close. The idea is this measures how much impact the player can have on the story. Basically, how open is the story to being impacted or influenced or directed by the player? Yeah. Uh, and then the next one is what I call the system influence scale. Uh, so this goes from living to rote. And the idea is this scale measures how much impact the game systems can have on the story. So that'll make more sense when we talk about it. But first, uh, we want to talk about this predestined scale. All right. So the uh, the concept of predestined, as some of you might have caught that that term, you know, is like predestination, right? So it's the idea that when you start the game, the ending is already in stone. You just have to get there. Yeah, well, it's not just the ending, though, with this, necessarily. It can be the whole thing. So the sort of idea, the ends, uh, seeds only, is the sort of concept of the more games that way, the less the developer knows about the story beats and the plot and the sequence that things are going to happen. So the more the developer knows it, or the more it's fully known, the other end, it's where they know what's going to happen in the story, when it's going to happen, what order things happen in. So it's this idea of how much has the developer predestined or set in stone the way that the plot is going to play out. Yeah, so some examples of games that are more on the seeds-only side of the scale... Uh, these are things like the Sim games, so like Sim City or uh, The Sims to uh, to an extent. Uh, well, Sim City in particular, uh, Mount and Blade, and Civilization, although not in scenario mode. Yeah, I should take a moment to elaborate on that. So, Civilization, for those who are not familiar with it, belongs to the 4X genre of games, uh, which is this idea that you take control of a civilization and you guide it through the course of history, trying to somehow become um a civilization with some standout characteristic that qualifies for a victory condition. Uh, it's extraordinarily arbitrary in all regards, save the one where you kill everybody else. <laughs> uh, but the the idea here, and the the reason why I talk about it this way, uh, or put it put it in the notes mm-hmm. as we are preparing these, yeah. is when you're playing that, you're playing and guiding this civilization. The developer knows what each civilization can do, but you're playing out the story of your civilization. So you have some sort of story to tell with it. And, and that's kind of an important concept here, is that a story from a game is not necessarily a specific story that the game is telling to you or, or pulling you through, 
but it's something that you can then express, and it's a story that you can retell. Yeah, taking a crack at the concept, the idea is that when you are... When you're playing the game, you're creating your own narrative. When you're in a fully known scenario, the narrative is given to you. Yeah. Um, and so that is, that is kind of the difference. If you're in a seeds only situation, you create the narrative. Yeah. The designer is basically given you a place to make a narrative in. Yeah. Speaking of that, we have one more example, which is more recent, which is No Man's Sky, which is extremely seeds only. Yeah. Uh, the only thing they give you in that is you can go to the center of the, of the galaxy if you want. Uh, and the rest of it is just exploration and just finding all sorts of stuff. And so it's really just the story of you, an intrepid spaceman, finding stuff. Yeah. And then you, you can see how some of this interaction goes when it's not people going, oh man, this cool plot point happened, but they're going, oh man, look at this cool thing that happened to me or this cool thing that I found. Where the the way that they talk about it is more like how they talk about events in their normal day-to-day life, mm-hmm. right? Where they talk about going to a ball game or their experience at, say, a tournament that they went to or at the food court when they bumped into an old friend and they're telling you about how excited they were to run with their old friend. And they'll talk about these events in the game in a similar sort of, this is an experience that I had, this is part of my life way. Yeah. And so moving from there, uh, some examples of fully known, and this is way more common. Uh, Yeah. your, Your average game is probably a fully known or somewhere on that scale. And again, it's a scale, so you don't have to be at one end or the other. You can be along it somewhere. But yeah, some examples here. Uh, Devil May Cry, uh, extremely fully known. You're going from set piece to set piece to set piece, and you know how it's going to end, and you know all of the fights you're going to go through. Uh, you have Metal Gear, which that is very obviously telling a story. Oh, yeah. And the Final Fantasy games, the ending doesn't really change, and everything leading up to and through the game doesn't really change. You'll have a few side quests and stuff, but you're not going to change the way the story works. Yeah, doing a side quest doesn't change the order in which the major story beats happen. Yeah. It just interjects something in between. And uh, it should be also noted, a lot of, you know, a lot of RPGs are in this area. Uh, the Legend of Zelda games, most of them are in this area. There are a couple of standouts that aren't. Yeah, and it'll be uh, interesting to see as a historical note or a future historical note how much Breath of the Wild goes towards seeds only versus fully known on this. Yeah, so excited about that game. But moving on, we wanted to kind of use this scale to identify a few games that are, um, let's say, not quite fully on one end or fully on the other. Yeah, just some more notably known games to give some some context for this. So the first one of these is Mass Effect, which is kind of a game that's somewhere more in the middle. So the developer does know all the story beats. They have to, because they have to write everything and get everything voice acted. So it's not like they're the game is kind of coming up with story beats as it goes. But they don't know which ones the players will actually choose to do. They don't know the order necessarily that the player will choose to do them in. Um, or if the player's going to skip something or whatever. Like, my first playthrough of the first Mass Effect, I think I missed a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of content. There's a lot of missable content. And there's a lot of content that will change based on the decisions you make. Uh, and that's important. Uh, is that as a player, you've been given a hand in altering and creating that narrative. Yeah. So they do know the beats, so it's not completely seeds only or anything. But there's a lot that they don't know about how that's going to play out, and that pushes it away from fully known as well. Mm-hmm. The other one we have is Dark Souls. Um, this is closer to seeds only 
in uh, uh, when it comes to the story. And this is important that that's in the story realm of how that works. Because the developer knows a lot of the things that the player can do. They just don't know everything about what the player will do. And more importantly, the story itself isn't told to you specifically. It's mostly experienced. Yeah, and one of the other things in my mind that pushes us towards the seeds only end of this scale is how much of the story is open to speculation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very much so a story that I'm not even sure the developers fully know all of the meaning of and that sort of thing. And, and being a more of a symbolic thing, it, it lends itself towards that. Yeah, much of the lore about Dark Souls when you try and figure it out, it's mostly stuff posted by users based on the implications of what they've read and what they figured out. I'm certain the developers have their own uh, interpretations of those things, but they don't air those out as much. Yeah, and they don't act as a kind of a, a voice of God, as it were, saying, this is how it is, or whatever. They they encourage the speculation. I think they enjoy it. Yeah. And finally, we have uh, the Elder Scrolls. Oh, Elder Scrolls. Elder Scrolls. Skyrim as yes. well. Yeah, with Skyrim, uh, again, this is kind of more in the middle. It's probably a bit more closer to Seeds Only than Mass Effect. Uh, there's a ton of different story events and content and stuff in there, but I don't know what the player's going to do. The main plot, such as it is, isn't exactly mandatory, and for all the developers know, the player's going to pick up their game, get off that prison card if they haven't installed a mod that skips it, and go build a house somewhere and just be a blacksmith or something. Yeah, like, like there's still a, I guess you could saw, say, an end game that you can progress toward, but the player's not pushed through it. Yeah, no. The intent is more that it's it's a world for the player to experience. And so I think they have a, a main main story. I haven't really played through it, but my impression of it is that they do have a main story that kind of has a certain sequence that they, they have to unfold, but they don't really know if that's what the player is going to even engage with. Yeah, and they're happy to allow that to be the case. Yeah, I think so. Uh, now we move on to the player influence scale. And this is the scale that measures the impact the player can have on how the story unfolds. Generally, uh, and this is the open-closed scale that we noted earlier. Right, where the ends are open and closed. Yeah. Uh, the openness of the scale um, pushes the game further towards a seeds-only style game, um, whereas the closeness pushes it more towards a fully known end. So what do we mean by opened and closed? Uh, so when it's open... A player just has a greater level of impact on the story. So this means that whatever's happening throughout the game, if the player does something, there's a likelihood that something about uh, what's happening in the story will change in reaction to that. Yeah, uh, some examples, things like Mass Effect or Dragon Age, where the player can make choices about what they do, and it changes the way that that story unfolds. Uh, I think a little bit more so for Mass Effect than Dragon Age, as, as I recall, but it's been a while since i played those. Yeah, with Mass Effect, you, um, there are events that will, will change. Uh, and in Dragon Age, you will... Um, well, in actually, in both of them, you have a thing of where it's really very much based on what characters you're interacting with. Yeah. Um, but in Mass Effect, you tend not to miss as many events as you would actually in Dragon Age if you didn't interact with somebody in a specific way. Mm. Uh, and then Mountain Blade is a, a very open game. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with it, I, I know it's been brought up a couple of times here. The basic idea is 
you're some random person that's more or less building up a mercenary band and you just go around from kingdoms and choose whether or not you want to try to do quests with them and stuff like that and you have to maintain your mercenary band. I think you can eventually found your own kingdom if you want to. Mm-hmm. But it's very much so focused on this idea of here's a world, go make your mercenary band. Yeah, and uh, that's as much narrative as the uh, as the developer gives you. The rest of it is just tools to build that narrative. Yeah. Uh, Shadow of Mordor is fairly open. There's a lot in terms of who you choose to go after and that sort of thing that can impact the story uh, and and that sort of thing. Uh, Visual novels tend to be fairly open because they tend to be all about the decisions that you make. Yeah, most of them, the whole point of a visual novel is that there is an interactive aspect to them, and it is in that form of when you read through the story, you will be given decisions to make, and those decisions can drastically change what happens um, as you go along. I think Fate Stay Night's a pretty good example of that, um, although might be not safe for work, though. I think a number of visual novels fall into that category. Yeah, Japan. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, American standards, too. (laughs) That's Uh, true, too. (laughs) uh, And then a game like Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, Bioware tends to do a lot of these sorts of games uh, that are good examples here, but you make a lot of decisions about what happens, you know. Am I going to be a Jedi or a Sith? That sort of thing. And those will have impact on how the story unfolds and that sort of stuff. So they're very open to, to player influence. Uh, now, then there's the, the close end of things, which is the player can't really impact how the story unfolds. It's closed to player influence is another way of thinking about it. So you have things like the Uncharted series, Tomb Raider 2013, the vast majority of Legend of Zelda games. You don't really have an impact on how that story unfolds. And a lot of arcade games, for example, or games like Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, just a lot of these games, the more fully known they are, the more likely they are to be completely closed, and you see a lot of overlap there. Yeah, it's interesting of note on The Legend of Zelda games. I know we noted um, with Breath of the Wild that the next game may very well be a very open sort of thing, and it's of note that the games actually shifted from starting out very open, because the very yes. first game was, well, as the, de- the main developer of it noted, it was him wanting to get that idea of being out in his backyard and exploring and just finding stuff. So where Pikmin started also. Yeah, well, Pikmin was him with gardening specifically, but yeah. yeah. Um, oh, Miyamoto. <laughs> he finds inspiration in in uh, interesting places, which is how it usually works. Oh, yeah. You find inspiration in mundane things, and then you create something that's very much not. <laughs> yeah. But you look at something like the first Legend of Zelda, and it's like, what do you do? You boot it up, and you're just standing there. Most people will go in the hole and find the guy with, that gives you a sword. Yeah. But you're just, you're really left your own devices to figure out what to do, where to go, uh, versus, say, Ocarina of Time, where it starts off with this sort of nightmare scene, and then you wake up as Link in his little hut in Kokiri Forest, and you play through a very specific story with very specific beats. A mostly intended order. Uh, I think, technically, you can do the Shadow Temple and the Spirit Temple in any order, but... Uh, or in either order, but, but yeah, overall, it's it's very much a yeah, it's, it's very much pushed along, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with being one way or the other. No, absolutely not. It's just that it changes the kind of experience that you give, and that's really important to note. 
Yeah, how much is the player directing it versus being drawn by it? And there's enjoyment to both. Moving on from there, uh, we get to the system influence scale, which is, as noted before, it's on the living side of things or the rote side of things. And this is a scale, of course, so it can be a little bit of both as we go along. Yeah, so this is one that I kind of personally find really interesting, particularly as a game developer. I'm interested by what it would take to implement it. Mm -hmm. But also the idea of playing these sorts of games really fascinates me. So to kind of explain what this scale talks about. So the living end of things means that the system can make a lot of decisions about how the story plays out. It's not just the player, but the system. So there's AI that is trying to figure out what it wants to do. There's agents that are trying to accomplish a goal, and the game is trying to, in some sense, win. In other words, the game is also playing. So it's reacting to what the player does, but also acts independently from the player. It makes its own decisions. And the end result of this is the player feels like they are a part of the world, not the center of it. Yes. And this is in contrast to the rote style, where the world is just responding to the things the player does in a predetermined way, where it doesn't really make any decisions. and all things that happen in it are always very predictable. Um, if the player does something to the world, it will react in a very specific way. And the world is not going to do anything without the player doing something first. Yeah. There might be a, a few sort of like games can be dip in a little bit towards living and while being a lot of rote. Uh, and, and again, we called it rote because of that concept of like rote memorization. You know, it's, memorize a script and it's like the player does a i do b the player does f i do g you know it has this very specific pattern mm -hmm. where it's not saying oh the player today now should i do b or c it, it doesn't do that yeah so just some examples of, of games that are more of along the lines of the sort of living world thing you have things like the sim and tycoon games where they have agents in the world that have specific goals that make their own decisions and that sort of thing and kind of act independently of the player. Now, a lot of these, it's the player is trying to manage these. Yeah, um, it's like, um, just to elaborate a little bit more, basically the agents in like the Sim and the Tycoon games, those are the people in those uh, yeah. in those things. So like in the Tycoon games, it's all the people that are coming to your carnival and they're looking for a good time. So you're basically managing that. Yeah, you're trying to make sure that they have the good time they're looking for and that sort of thing. And then, like, I feel like this concept hasn't been super heavily explored outside of the simulation genre, per se. Uh, although I will note that versus games where you can play against AI opponents, they do capture elements of this. Because the AI agents that you're playing against are going to be sort of interacting with this sort of story. Again, Civilization is a great example of this when you just play against a bunch of AI. Mm -hmm. they have a way that they're interacting with you. And so they're part of the the unfolding story. So it's not just, you know, the player's like, oh, I decided to choose freedom and now everybody's happy or whatever. It's like, well, the AI is making a decision and they're going to treat you a certain way based on that and they're going to try to achieve certain goals and that sort of thing. I think that there's room for a lot more nuance there, but that becomes very difficult to make. So Almost definitely. And it's a, well, that's one of the constant challenges, but man, technology will continue forward and eventually. <laughs> yeah. So we have a lot of examples of rote worlds. Mass Effect is this way. Saints Row for Dark Souls, Legend of Zelda, Devil May Cry, just the vast majority of games kind of fall into this. 
where the game may be very open to the player's influence, but it tends to be very rote in how it handles that. Yeah, it it's important to note this, because Mass Effect, you might initially think, well, that's totally a living game. But then you're like, but wait, think about when you make those decisions, does the game have the ability to make a different decision? And the answer is no. It has to react to what you do in a specific way, and you will always know what is going to happen based off of that. It doesn't have its own goals. Yeah, like, uh, oh, I forget the name of the, the villain in the first one. It started with an S or something. But he doesn't decide to do something different over the course of what happens. No, he's there for every plot beat that the developers intend for him to be there at that plot beat for. They didn't say, this guy's going to do a thing, and we're going to send him off to the universe to do his thing, and the player's going to try to counteract that thing. No, it's, here's the story beat where he shows up and gives the player this motivation. Here's where he shows up and does this, and shows up and does that. Like, there's a very specific way that that story plays out. Yeah, and it's actually of note because there is actually a contrasting example of a game where it has more of a living approach. Although it wasn't as well received, it was the most recent Alien Alien Isolation? Yes, Alien Isolation, because the Alien actually has an AI that allows it to just kind of wander around the space station. And once it gets wind of you, it starts hunting you and um, doing its own thing. And it's supposed to create that situation from, like, the first Alien movie where you are being hunted by this thing. Now, this highlights some of the weaknesses of a living world where you don't have full control over what the uh, AI is going to do. It might just do something completely not... Yeah, like, you talked about this actually some in Podcast 3. Yeah. Uh, and about stories of the alien just deciding, you know what, I'm going to go see what's on the opposite side of the station the entire game. Yeah. And so it's a very difficult thing to manage, but it is a challenge that I think should be taken more often. Yeah, I do want to give an example uh, of this concept from a, a, a hypothetical Legend of Zelda game. So the idea here is that it's kind of like a big grand RTS. You play as like Link or Zelda or someone leading the Hyrulean army against Ganondorf. So Ganondorf is a mass and army. And he has a specific goal. Maybe it's something like close up all of the dungeons and that somehow allows him to get to the Triforce or something. That, that can be figured out. But the, the idea of the general play here is that each side is making decisions based on intelligence that they're collecting. You need to send out agents. The player needs to balance, say, going over here and trying to make sure Ganondorf doesn't get that information and decide to go somewhere where that he's left vulnerable. Like, you have this idea of the player's trying to thwart the AI, and the AI of Ganondorf is trying to thwart the player. And there's this play-counterplay. And Ganondorf has certain goals that he's trying to pursue. And he won't just wait for the player to do something. He doesn't just pop up and do something in a specific plot moment. It's this tug-of-war and this actual battle. And this very much so, like, character-focused RTS. That's, to me, a very interesting concept, where there is a story. Like, Here's the seed. The seed, because this is um, more seeds only, but, you know, there's an ending that's known. The player defeats Ganondorf. Yeah. But in order to do that, so the, the developer sets the stage of the world in a specific way and tells the player, here's what you're trying to do. And then the player goes, and Ganondorf goes. And you need to figure out, okay, how do I actually get to the point where I can beat Ganondorf? Mm -hmm. So maybe one run the player is able to have a sequence of events where they're like, oh, wow, I just got Ganondorf like super quickly. Mm -hmm. But they might have another one where it's like this big grand campaign. And I can see players talking about how did this 
game play out for them. Yeah. And that being a really interesting experience. But yeah. Well, I don't have much more to say on that one. It's a very, it's a very interesting concept and it opens up a lot of interesting ideas. And one of the things about designing a game that has more of a living aspect to it, um, granted there, uh, uh, we don't have that much experience with it, but it's something we intend to try and gain some experience on. Absolutely. One of the things with designing a game with a more of a living aspect is understanding that you do want to provide your player with a interesting experience. And so that means that you, while you do grant your AI the ability to make decisions, you will also do certain things to kind of corral it into making decisions that actually make good stuff happen. And that can be done with either how you design your world, um, how you make the tug of war to where no, the AI has to deal with the player to actually make things happen. Um, and things like that. It's all about how you, how you build the system such that the player has to interact with the living item and the living item has to interact with the player. Yeah, to, to get that uh, sort of thing to happen. And I think this, uh, this more or less covers the scales. Uh, if anyone has any questions about them, please comment and, and ask away and we'll, uh, do our best to explain. So until next time, when we talk about character progression, uh, which I think will be a very interesting conversation, mm-hmm. well, play the games you want to play and let's move to sign off. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, he already said it, although he didn't say boyos. No, 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 we need to end it properly. Okay, okay. Uh, So so this is Santier signing off. And this is Redco signing off. Play the game if you want to play, boyos.